0: So um, we're, we kind of uh, we're coming close to the end of a, a series that we began several weeks ago, kind of like a summer series for us, um, and it's a series called Ten Questions, um, and it's based off of a book by Kevin Myers called Grown Up Faith. And what he does in this particular book is, and um, through and in, in this particular stuff that you, and of course, obviously, it goes into a lot more information there than. Uh, than even what we're able to cover on Sunday mornings, but what what, what he does is talking about the top ten most asked questions about God. So what he, you know, I guess there's this top ten list, maybe Google puts it together or whatever it is, but you go through this list of what are the top ten questions that people ask about God, and if you look at all ten of these questions, it's interesting that you will find that your ability to answer these questions really lays a, A solid foundation in your life to be able to have strong faith and understanding of not only what you believe but why you believe what you believe and so you know some of the questions in the beginning were like um, am I here on purpose or or is my life an accident Um, some of them are kind of like why can't I make my own rules Um, why can't God accept me as I am Um, isn't one way to God narrow minded Um, and so it kind of goes through a lot of these particular uh, questions. uh, Why is there suffering? In other words, why do bad things happen to good people? And so it goes through a lot of these questions, and obviously these are things that we've already kind of gone through and discussed. Last week's question that we talked about was this question that the world is asking, is why don't Christians look different than everybody else? Why don't Christians look different than everybody else? Which I think is a really puzzling, you know, question, uh, uh, you know, it's really kind of sad that the, the question really even has to be asked, but the truth is, is that even everybody in here today, no, no, none of us are perfect, we, we, none of us have it all together, we, you know, we make mistakes, we wake up on the wrong side of the bed, we have our bad days, we have our bad moments. We have our, our moments in our life where we kind of give in to the fleshly desires and the things which we shouldn 't you know we, every day we should be picking up our cross and and following him, but there 's a struggle, and so not only is there a struggle within all of us as believers, but then there 's also people out there that profess Christ and then live whatever they, whatever way they want, like hey, I love jesus but hey i 'm going to go party and you know i 'm going to go do all these other things that everybody else does because I guess it really doesn 't matter because you know God loves me and, and you know he 'll forgive me and and, you know, it, you know, in the end, it doesn't matter. So, and so what that does is it kind of creates confusion amongst the rest of the world. Like, well, you're no different than we are, so why do I need Jesus, right? And uh, so that was kind of where we went last week. And this week, this week's question uh, is um, our second to last. Next week, will the actual question is, um, does heaven and hell really exist? And, uh, but this week's question is, who needs the church, who needs the church? Who really needs the church? And, and I'm going to just be honest with you, you know, obviously um, I, I could probably be a little bit biased, right, being a pastor of a church, um, but this is something that I've heard for many years uh, of my life, um, even in my, my early 20s, my late teens, when I was doing some uh, ministry training programs and internships and stuff like this, and and just you know getting out into the world where you know I was you know I'd been doing some witnessing on the streets of New York, L.A., New Orleans, um, e- even here in Birmingham locally, you know, Five point South. And you go and even in the mall, you go and you talk to people and you and you kind of kind of hear everybody's perspective. And even being a pastor now for what's probably twenty years. Um, You just hear all kinds of different perspectives and ideas, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard people, even even people that say they love God, say, "You know, I don't really, you don't, you don't need to go to church to be a Christian, right?" Okay, so uh, yes, that is true, (laughs) right? All right, it is true that that um, going to church falls under the works category. Okay, so in other words, it's just something that we do, right? Um, it's, but it's also true that it's probably hard to be all that God wants you to be in your life without the church, all right? So, you know, it is true that you, you don't need the church to be a Christian or to be saved or any of that kind of stuff, but it's really going to be really hard for you to continue to live the life that God wants you to live and to fulfill your ultimate purpose in your life without being involved in the church by by without connecting the church, and so this question is, who um, who needs the church? Why why do, what what is what is the big deal about the church? And even uh, you know, I, last year probably I don't know it's probably about fourteen months ago or so, and, and probably about every two years or so we'll we'll do a little sermon series in here, even at our church. Like you know, uh, we'll, it'll be like my church is kind of a big deal or his church is kind of a big deal you know, that kind of thing, talking about how important the church is, and even some of the staggering numbers that exist out there in our culture today that talk about how the average Christian goes to church 1.67 times a month, okay. and I don't know about you, but like back in the day when I was growing up, we went to like church three times a day, <laughs> right, I mean, you were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, and maybe even Sunday afternoon, you know, I don't know, I mean, it's you know, it was just, what well, it was more, probably more like three times a week, right? Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Now, like, nowadays, and this probably started, this was a trend that probably started almost 10 years ago. I started, my, our pastor down in Florida used to take us to some of these big cities, and we'd go meet with some of these big churches, and see kind of what they were doing, and we were even hearing, you know, actually, it was longer than 10 years ago, because I've been here 10 years, all right? So, uh, 15 years ago, you you started hearing about churches are saying yeah we're, we're just not doing Wednesday nights anymore because just pe- people can't make it to church you know, whether it's uh, you know rush hour traffic and they can't get back and get the kids ready in time and all that kind of stuff or yeah we're just not doing Sunday night anymore because you know just people don't show, up. and and so you and and now it's a pretty common thing it's a pretty common thing just not to, you know um, you know your Wednesday nights and your Sunday nights now some, some most churches will probably have one or the other but most churches don't have both anymore. And, 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 of course, it makes it hard for us. We don't really have either one, and we have some Sunday night stuff going on from time to time, but we can't do Wednesday night stuff because we're being in the school. So, that you know, it really boils down to now, like, Sunday morning is the only thing. And even then, it's saying that the average believer in our culture goes to church just 1.6. That's less than two times a month. And, and less than two times a month. So, you know, once a month, you're in church. Okay, so one day, all right, but we'll just be really generous and say two days out of 31 days you're in church. And so 29 days you're not in church, you're in the world, you're working amongst lost people, you're watching stuff on TV, you're browsing stuff on the internet, you're exposed to all of this stuff. And now in churches one day, it's no wonder that the church is kind of like, eh, just take it or leave it. Who really needs the church and maybe it's because our perspective of what the church really means we've kind of lost that perspective and you know the truth being known is that we we could just say why didn't why didn't jesus just end it all right like so when he like died, when he rose from the grave like hey it's done it's finished i've accomplished all that i need to accomplish let's just let's just take let's just take everybody with us Let's just take everybody to heaven now. Let's go ahead and end all of this kind of stuff. Let's do it now. And um, I think that that question can be answered and be found in the Bible. Um, you know, because we see that Jesus came and he made the final sacrifice for all, all mankind. And then now there's been approximately 2,000 years between that time and now. How come Jesus just didn't? And I think we find that answer in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 where Peter's writing, he says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. In other words, God wants everyone, God wants to give people more and more time, more and more opportunities to come to him, and, and this is what God wants to do. So he's He's, he's wanting to make sure that everybody has as much time and as many opportunities as possible to come to know him so that they can spend eternity in heaven with them. And this is really not a new concept. This is not just a new covenant concept. Even in, uh, for example, like, um, you know, when, when God dealt with Sodom and Gomorrah and the angels were there dealing with Abraham and Abraham was kind of like, hey, you know, will you spare the city if there's 40 righteous people? All right, let's spare the city if there's 40. Well, what about if there's 35? All right, I'll spare the city. All right, Abraham gets all the way down. to Like, if there's five righteous people in the city, will you spare? Why would God say, yeah, I'll spare the city if there's five righteous people? Because he would know that there would be more opportunity for people in that city to come to know him. So God, is, God, God desires that, that people... The, the people that live in our city, the, pit, the people that live in our county, our state god 's desire for all of them, whether you know they cuss him, whether they hate him, whether they just are ignorant and don 't know about him, God desires that all of those people, all of these people, these people that we don 't even know yet, God desires that all of them would come to repentance and come to know. Christ so they could spend eternity in heaven, that God made them and fashioned them for a purpose and a reason, and he wants to be with them, all right? He wants more and more people. And so what God has done, okay, through Jesus, Jesus established the church and then gives the church the purpose. Jesus came, he says, I'm going to build my church, right? When he's talking to subject, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, all right? I'm going to build my church. This is the purpose of God uh, that Jesus is explaining. And then Jesus gives the purpose in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20. He says, All the authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. All right. So understand this that Jesus was, in, was and is in possession of all authority in heaven and on earth okay Jesus was and is in possession of all authority that exists in heaven and on earth okay And so then he tells his disciples, and understand that this is after the resurrection, so things didn't change when Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus, after the resurrection, he tells them, I'm giving you authority, okay? And this means that Jesus, Jesus is the one that gets to establish what is important. He's the one, all right? Jesus is the one that gets to establish what's important, and he tells us, that what we are to be doing while we are here on this earth, while we are still on the earth, earth, is that we are to, to be doing the most important thing that he thinks that we're supposed to be doing, and that is being a part of the church, and the church is supposed to be going into the world, making disciples of all nations. Now, it doesn't mean that you need to go beyond where you are right now. It just means that you need to go where you are right now. So where you are right now in this particular moment of your life is where you need to be going. We need to go, all right? And and this is God, you know, Jesus talking about his church. I think that's interesting when you talk about this, that, you know, nations will fade away. Nations have come and gone. Nations, entire nations have come and gone, okay? Kings have come and gone. Billion-dollar companies, okay, okay? Like, Blockbuster have come and gone. How I many you remember a Blockbuster? Oh, yeah, back in the day when you could actually go, like, put your hands on something. It is interesting, though, that now, like, I don't know, I think it's better now, to be honest, you know. And plus, we don't have VHS, which is always better, because then you don't have to rewind stuff. That's what I'm talking about. Y'all kids don't even know what VHS is, do you? VHS, VHS, What? <clears throat> Billion-dollar companies, okay, have come and gone. The church has has and will continue to out, outlive and influence everything else on this earth, okay? L- listen, there's going to come a day that Walmart's going to end. I, some, okay, probably not in your lifetime. You're okay. It's okay. Breathe. There's, listen, there's going to come a day that Snapchat's going to end, Okay? that um, Instagram is gonna go away, all right? There's gonna come a day that Facebook is not gonna be the cool thing anymore, okay? It's okay, that because whatever takes this place will be better, all right? There's gonna come a day that all of these things will cease to exist, but listen, the church will not. The church will not, okay? We're, we've already gone 2,000 years, okay, since Jesus established the earth on this, uh, uh, established the church on this earth, all right, and in a 2,000 years, okay, kings, nations, companies, leaders have come, okay, and they have gone, and the church has still here, okay? There have been leaders, and, 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 and you know, um, Kings and dictators that have tried to overthrow and destroy and to kill off all the Christians. And, the, and, and they've, they've, tried to, they've purposely tried to ruin the church and eliminate the church and, and to throw it out of society. And yet the church has still continued to exist today. It still continues to exist today even in the midst of, of all of these things. Even in the midst of all the persecution and the things that have gone on in this world, it still continues to exist today. And listen, it still continues to have greater influence on this earth than anything else. Think about the millions of dollars that are donated to disaster relief by Christians who give towards Christian ministries. Think about the, the hundreds of thousands of missionaries who have gone... Uh, you know, out of, you know, our, co- our country to other countries, to Africa to dig wells for fresh water, to go and provide medical services to people that have no medical service. These kinds of things happen all the time. Whether you're aware of it or not, they are going on now, even to these days. Even our good friend Jay Threadgill down in Haiti, um, our, our missionary that we are connected with, that we've given a lot of money to, they feed hundreds Hundreds of kids every day. There through that ministry there in Haiti, which is the poorest country in our hemisphere, and yet they're over there in, in the name of Jesus. Okay, they've got a you know a ten thousand people church over there that has the largest uh, largest daily prayer meeting in our in our hemisphere, and they feed hundreds and hundreds of kids daily meals. And and, and these kinds of things are happening in the name of Jesus because of the church. The church has outlived all of these things. And so, because we are the church, even Paul kind of communicates it this way to, to the Corinthians. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors As though God were making His appeal through us. So, Paul says that we are Christ ambassadors. We are ambassadors for Christ. As if God is saying, I'm going to make my appeal to the world through you. My appeal to the world is going to come through you. You are His ambassadors. All right? And we have the ability, you have the ability to be on a mission wherever God has put you on the map. And because we, the church, living during this time and era in the kingdom of God, we need to be living our life like God has sent us. We need to be living our life like God has sent us. Listen, whether it's not an issue of you going on the mission field, God has sent you right where you are. In this place that you find yourself on the map, whether it's in Calera or Birmingham or somewhere else in Alabama, or you move off and go somewhere else, wherever it is that God places you on the map, God has sent you there. You say, well, I was just just born and raised here. I just, okay, God has sent you there. You're sent. You need to live your life like you are being sent. All right? Because the alternative is, the alternative is, is to be a religious consumer, that you just become a religious consumer, which, by the way, and I'm, I'm just, you know, going off of my kind of, I can step back and kind of just see, and see our culture and our, our communities, our churches, and have relationships with other people in and outside the church. I think that uh, I believe with all my heart that cons- that religious consumerism is the greatest problem with American church today. That we find ourselves most of the time in our life living like we are consumers, okay, and not like ambassadors. And what this does is because we are consumers in the real world, in the natural world, we are consumers and we are we are used to being catered to. We are used to people coming alongside us and coddling us and, if we don't like this product that we buy, you, you better take it back, and, and I want my money back, and, and you better give me another one. and you, I don't know, this is all kinds of... We're used to being consumers. Every day of our life, we are consumers. We consume, we consume. We're constantly being advertised to because people are constantly wanting our money. And then what happens is, is that we walk into the church, okay and we live like consumers in the church. And God hasn't called you to live like a consumer in the church, all right? And so what happens is because of all this, we look and interact with a church like consumers and not like people who have been sent. We, we act like consumers and not like people who God has said, I have commissioned you to make a difference in this world. What we have to understand is that God has sent us into this world that we live in, and that we interact with people so that we can influence them in the direction of God. So what does it look like? I want to talk about three things quickly. What does it look like to live your life like you're being sent? What does it look like to live your life like you're being sent? Number one is, uh, is that you'll be a blessing. G- you know, you'll be a blessing. You will you'll, you'll decide in your life Okay? And this has nothing to do with how much money you have. It has nothing to do with how much talent you have. This has nothing to do with how much prestige. It doesn't have anything to do with your position in the church. It doesn't have anything to do with any of those things. Those things are all limitations that you place upon and that God doesn't place upon you. All right? But here's the thing. God blesses people. It is a part of his nature. It is a part of God's nature to want to bless people. All right, you remember he says that you know if you're, if you're an earthly father and knows how to give you good gifts. If you ask for this and he's not going to give you... If your earthly father knows how to give good gifts, how much more does your heavenly father, right? So we see the character and the nature of God, even in the Old Testament where God kind of looks like he's a little grumpy, right? even in the Old Testament we see that he, it is his nature where he says that, hey, I want to bless you and not curse you. I want to make you a great nation. I want to, to bring you up. I want to make you the head and not the tail. I want you that when you rise up, you'll be blessed. And when you go down, you'll be blessed. God, it's, it, is, it is in the nature of God to want to be a blessing. And we see it even in the life of Jesus, that everywhere Jesus went, he was a blessing to people. Look, go, go through, if you haven't in a while, go through and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, The, the only people in Jesus' life that he wasn't a blessing to, and in theory it kind of was a blessing, but they didn't really know it was a blessing. was the Pharisees. Because he was trying to kind of wake them up out of their religious consumer mentality. All right? So he was trying, there were times where he was a little bit rude and maybe you could say that he was mean or whatever. It was that righteous indignation or whatever you want to call it all right, that Jesus had towards them. But those were the only people that Jesus acted like. Every other person in Jesus' life, it didn't matter who it was, it didn't matter what they were asking for. When they came to Jesus and said, Jesus, will you help me? He would say, what do you want? Because I want to bless you. Jesus was a blessing. God wants to bless people. God, uh, Abraham, even Abraham was blessed, and the Bible says that as as people of faith, that we are Abraham's seed, and therefore we fall under that same blessing. The Bible says that He blesses those who come to him. So we, we see that, that, that God in His nature, that even Jesus, who is the, the, the image of God, in other words, if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus, all right? Look at His life, if you want to know the character and nature of God, look at Jesus, read about Him, see what He did. We see that God all right, that God blesses people. So you know what that means, right? You know what that means. That means you're blessed. You may say, I, you don't know my situation. I don't feel very blessed right now. Okay, that's true. Uh, there may be situations and circumstances that, that that we have to deal with in our life where maybe we don't feel very blessed. Um, but I can promise you, um, I can promise you all you just need to do is just change your perspective, just change the way that you see things, all right? Uh, I remember hearing... Um, I was a couple years ago, they were saying something like, if you, if you live in a household that brings home, you know, more than $35,000 a year, if you live in a household that brings home more than 35000 which, which by the way, is not a lot. I understand that. Okay. I know you kids are like, Hey, I'll live like that. Okay. Trust me. It's, I mean, that you can live, um, if you live in a household that brings home thirty-five thousand dollars or more a year, listen—you are in the top two percent of the richest people in the world. Just and forget forget beyond the thirty-five thousand. dollars right. So, understanding blessing in our life a lot of times is just about perspective. Just about perspective. It's about thinking different. I remember hearing a story about a kid who. Um, or, or a dad who took his son to, to Disney World, when he was you know four or five years old, and they were at Disney, and they were standing in line for this lot. You know, I mean, I mean, you know, when you go to Disney, you go to stand in lines. All right, that's kind of what you do. All right, then from time to time you get to ride a ride, but most of the time you're standing in lines. Right, so they're standing in line for this ride, and he just couldn't feel like his son was just acting so just, i mean, just grumpy, and you know it's just not being his normal self. He's like, man, I just brought you to the greatest place in the world. Why are you being so, you know, so upset? And so he kind of, after, you know, having to deal with this for a while, he kind of bent down to talk to his son. And when he bent down to talk to his son, he kind of realized, he said, well, no wonder, um, no wonder he is so grumpy. At his level, all he could see is a bunch of butts. So I I would be grumpy if I saw a bunch of butts, too. So he put him on his shoulders. Why? so his son could see from a different perspective, okay? So his son could see all the stuff that's out there, the people and the excitement and the fun that's going to be had. And all of a sudden, his son's countenance changed, right? So all we need to do sometimes when we have the wrong perspective is just to see from our father's perspective. Let him pick us up a little bit so we can see from his perspective a little bit and understand that you are blessed, And what does it mean in your life that you are blessed? It means this. That because you are blessed, you need to be a blessing. Okay? Because you are blessed, you need to be a blessing. So everything that you do in your life, you think, how can I be a blessing? Okay? So here it is. Okay? When you go to church on Sunday morning... It's not who's going to bless me, but how can I be a blessing to somebody today? Well, the pastor just didn't talk to me today. Look, I I, want to talk to you, okay? I stand up here. I I, I stand up for hours and talk to you if you want to talk. I will. I promise. Right? But, you know. I can't tell you how many times in my life you, you hear people who, you know, get upset for this, that, and the other. And, and all this stuff is, is a consumer mentality. There, there's not, there's not ever, there wasn't ever a moment in my life where I make, made a decision in my life to make a major change because I was frustrated by things in my life. Okay? I, it didn't matter if I, it was a job or whatever it is. Okay? My first job as a as a as a pastor as a youth pastor was extremely frustrating. It was ten months of just you know constant frustration in the end. We decided that we needed to leave, and it was because God told me to do it, not because I was frustrated okay? every every position every place i 've ever been I, i've you know and this is where this is, this is, this is the thing that i 'm talking about like God should like, we should be making decisions because God is leading us, not because we're upset, right? Because then we're thinking from the wrong perspective. You think from the perspective like this is God's will for me in my life, all right? And so when you go to church on Sunday morning, you think, how can I be a blessing to others today? When you go to work, how can I bless somebody at work today? When you are with your family, how can I be a blessing to somebody in my family today? When you are out shopping and minding your own business, you can think, how can I be a blessing to somebody today? When I'm out at the park with my kids, what can I do to be a blessing to somebody? today. Listen, you have been blessed. Therefore, God wants you to bless others. And it's not just about Sunday morning. It's about every day of your life that you learn to be a blessing to other people. And that's what it means to be, if if I'm going to say that God has sent me into this world to make a difference, then he has given me a purpose and something to do. So, you find ways and you look for opportunities to be a blessing in somebody's life. How can I be a blessing in somebody's life? In Philippians chapter 2, it says, verse 3 through 5, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. Have this mind. Amongst yourselves, which is also yours in Christ Jesus. So the Bible says that this is the way Jesus lived. He looked at the interest of others. He was considerate of other people. He was thinking about other people. Why? Because he was thinking, how can I bless somebody today? So when you come to church, it's not not supposed to be about like, I hope the pastor inspires me today. Hope the pastor really gets me a good one because I need it for this week coming up. Because I got a long week and I need I need some Jesus in me. Look, Jesus is already in you. Okay, all you need to do is just fan the flame, the gift, which means you need to like be praying, reading your Bible, doing all those kinds of things. All right, you you become. That's what we're talking about: spiritual maturity. Is spiritual dependency, not upon a pastor or a church or some other person. It's spiritual dependency upon God. So I become, more, the more and more spiritually mature I become, the more and more dependent I become of, of, of God. All right? As, um, in, 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 in fleshly maturity, okay, we, we become more and more independent. In spiritual maturity, we become more and more dependent. All right. But we learn to become a blessing. We look for ways. How can I be a blessing to other people? Okay? Every day you wake up, how can I be a blessing to somebody today? Listen, if you'll just open your eyes, opportunities will come your way. They'll, they'll happen. They'll happen. Opportunities will come your way. Um, you know, I, I got people that just the other night we, we went and saw uh, Spider Man when it opened up, right? Which, you know, I don't know how long we're going to be able to do this, but kind of made a deal with my kids. Like, well, hey, well, opening night Spider-Man, we go, we'll go. All right? Now, you got to understand, opening night's like 12.05 a.m. <laughs> I'm like, 10.30, I'm out, baby. All right? So I'm like, guys, I just don't know if I can do this. All right? We did it. I think I, I, you know, I don't know how much of it I saw, but I, I saw it. <laughs> so, on the way back home, we had to get gas. I stopped to get gas, and some guy comes up here and walks, asks me for money. Alright, uh, I could say, no. I had to give him my money, right? And the truth be known is I'm not going to give him my money. <laughs> uh, but I'll go buy him some food. That's what I told him. I said, hey, man, I, I don't have any cash to give you, but I'll go buy you some food if you want some food if you're hungry. All right? Turns out he wanted money for cigarettes, but he still wanted food. So I bought him some food. <laughs> but you, if you'll, you know, and I don't care, right? That's not that big a deal. And that's not a pin her nose on my (laughs) rose. Pin her nose on my rose. (sighs) Anyways, right? You understand what I'm saying? I don't even want to try to say it again because I'll say it the wrong way. So we got to learn, to. we got to look every day, how can I be a blessing to others? The second thing is, is that you want to train, right? If you want to live like you're sent, you need to train, right? And uh, I know you said, well, what do you mean? What do you mean, train? Um, so, here's the deal. I I saw a friend of mine post on. Is a pastor friend of mine post on Facebook the other day. He said he said this, and this is probably not where I would go with this, but I certainly understood his perspective. He said, "If I could have one superpower, you ever had that conversation? If you could have one superpower, what would it be?" I'm like, I'm flying for sure. I mean, as long as I stay low, I'm not going high. But just the the idea of go traveling like the bird. <clears throat> um, whatever, okay, he said, if I could have one superpower, it would be to have the ability to convince people that spiritual maturity takes intentional daily effort, okay, he said, if I had a superpower, it would be so that I could supernaturally convince you, so you could understand that the spiritual maturity takes daily effort, okay, daily effort, training is important for any listen, anything that you want to be good at you got to train for it, right? Um, Even Jesus went through a time of training. I mean, there were 30 years of his life before he, I mean, how many of you know, like at age 12 or something, like he was in the synagogue confusing the Pharisees. Like, how did you know all this? You're just 12 years old. And uh, so so we we get the idea that Jesus technically, he probably could have just been like, hey, I'm here. I'm going to go ahead and do my thing. No, but there was at least 18 more years from that time where Jesus went through training. He went through a period. The Bible says that he grew in favor with God and man. In other words, there were things that he didn't, it wasn't just that he was. It wasn't just that he was connected with people on this earth. It wasn't just that he was like doing all spiritual stuff. No, the Bible says that he he grew in favor with God and man, and that doesn't happen by accident. Okay, doesn't happen by accident, and uh, but. Anything you want to be good at, you got to train. Okay, doctors train, athletes train, teachers train, first responders train. I mean, you know, even car mechanics—they got to go through training, right? I mean, there's new cars that come out with new parts and new stuff. I mean, everybody in anything, you know, that you probably do, there's probably some training that you got to go through, workshops and different things like this that you got to do to continued education. You know, even in First Corinthians chapter nine, it says everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Okay? So understand, listen, that when you got, when, when you, when you got saved, when you were born again, okay, you became a part of Jesus' team. You're on the Jesus team, okay? You're on the Jesus team, okay? Because it's either Jesus or the devil. All right, I'm just telling you, you're on the Jesus team, in Jesus' name, <clears throat> okay? That's the team that you want to be on. You're on the Jesus team. And if you're going to be on the Jesus team, listen, you're not, just a, you're not a fan of the Jesus team. You're on the Jesus team. Okay, so fans wear the gear, and I know some of you wear the gear. It's okay to be on the team and still wear the gear, all right? You got the bumper stickers, and you got the, like, you know, the little Coke symbols that say, I don't know. You, you've seen them, right? This... I can't even think of. Alright. So you wear the gear, all this kind of stuff. But listen, you're on the team. You're not just a fan. Fans wear the gear, fans cheer for the players. Fans only show up on game day. Fans sit and stand. Fans enjoy the entertainment and sit back with a popcorn and coke. And we even do that sometimes here on Sunday mornings, right? When we do like at the movies and stuff. All right. Fans do all those things, but players, players that are on the team, which is you by the way, okay, they players participate in practice, they watch film, they sacrifice time, they work out, they sweat, they risk injury. I'm not asking you to risk injury, but if you get injured, I'm really sorry, we'll pray for your healing, all right? They struggle, they sacrifice, they do all of these things, all right, because they are a player on the team, okay? And you are on the Jesus team, all right? And God wants you to play for the team, all right? And so this means that You need to show up for practice. You need to study the playbook. You need to come um, under coaching. And you need to train. And you need to sweat. You need to struggle. You need to sacrifice. You need to work. You need to do the work of Jesus for the church because you're on the team. All right? I got that amen. Thank you very much. So here's what we do. We, We attend every practice. And every seven days... Every seven days, uh, we gather together to worship together. We study the playbook. So we should be reading the Bible and really learning it. Okay? We come under coaching. We take instruction and advice from pastoral leaders and others with, you know, um, you know, within you know, uh, who are leaders and teachers and trainers and whatever. We attend team and position meetings. We become members of small groups or ministry teams. We we say I'm going to join a team, I'm going I'm to join a ministry team, and I'm going to be a part of my ministry position and be a part of my small, uh, you know, knit of people that are going to make a difference in an area. And then we contribute to the team. We we give financially. We use our gifts. We serve. We give our time. All of these things we contribute to the team. You are listen. If you are born again, you are a player on the team. You're not just a fan. You know, if you're a fan, that means you're a consumer, right? Well, we have to train. We've got to train and put ourselves in position and be a part of the team. Be a part of the team. And then the third thing is, and Rob, if you'll go ahead and come. You have, to be, you have to be sent. You have to go, all right? So wherever it is that you have been placed on the map, you have been sent on his mission. Wherever it is that you've been placed on the map, okay? God has sent you on his mission in that place, right? And you've got to figure out how God can use you where you're at. How God can use you where you're at. You know, um, this guy, Kevin Myers, he he writes this book, he says, he kind of sums it up with this statement here. He says, there will be times when you get the sense that you ought to stop and help someone. Do it. There will be times when you get the sense that God is asking you to take action. Take it. There will be people you will see and immediately feel like you should build a relationship with them. Build it. There will be moments when you have a chance to reach out and help people. Okay? Serve them. Do it. You are God's ambassadors. Live like it you are God's ambassadors you are God's ambassadors and God is wanting to use you to send his message to the world right why is the church important because it becomes a place where we can unite together under one cause we can be in relationship with one another we can have accountability with one another and we can be of the same mind that God has called us all to be an ambassadors and we're all going to live our lives like we're being sent. I'm going to be a blessing and I'm going to train and I'm going to go. It doesn't always have to be, you know, something pretty like a, a big outreach that we do, like a community serve day type thing. It can be every day. It doesn't have to be a corporate outreach, church outreach. Um, It could just be something that you see every day of your life. I think the greatest testimony of Church on a Rock is when you live your life every day like you're being sent, okay? It doesn't mean that you gotta wear the T-shirt like, oh, I'm from Church on a Rock, Let let me love you because now it's like I'm turning on God's love. No, you should have that in you every day, every moment of your life. What about the people that I work with Maybe there's somebody that I work with that they need an encouraging word. They need somebody to kind of just be there for them in their life. Maybe, but maybe there's a family member that you have that maybe there's a neighbor I don't know. I don't, I don't know where, where you are and you, know, you, you have your circle. You have your sphere of influence. Your reach, the people that you touch. And God wants you to touch them. Because, listen, He is sending His message through you to them. And the Bible says, you know, Jesus said that He was going to build His church. And we're a church. You're the church. You're you're a part of the church called Church on a Rock. You're a part of the church in Calera. You're a part of the church in Shelby County, in Alabama, in the United States. You're a part of the global worldwide church. And Jesus said, I'm going to, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It means the gates of hell will not prevail against you. If you'll just live like you're sent, the gates of hell will not prevail against you because you're the church. You stand to your feet this morning.